Hello and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is not the chattering teacup. She sends her regards. She's doing what teacups usually do. Tea things. You got it right, dear listeners. But here with me from across the pond is author Christina Buck. Hello, Christina, and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. Hello, Edith. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's lovely to have you on. And before we started the recording, I said I enjoyed your book, Cold Mirage, which came out in 2022. And it's a young adult novel. So what can you tell our listeners about the book Cold Mirage, book number two in the Stevie series? Well, it is the second book in the series. So it continues the story of, uh, of Stevie that begins in Now Ever. Mm-hmm. And um, Now Ever, um, so it's always so funny when somebody says, well, tell me about your book. And I think <laughs> of a million things that happen in every book and what nuance do I need to explain. And uh, but, but Stevie is a very brave and impetuous uh, young woman, uh, The series begins when she's 16, and in Nowever she is 17, going on 18. And she has a gift of being able to heal pain with her touch. She can't heal diseases, illnesses, injuries, anything like that. But she can just take away the pain of mm -hmm. any one of them, which is kind of a mixed blessing. And because of that, from her very earliest childhood on, uh, various people have tried to take advantage of her You know, and she's had uh, some terrible experiences in that process. And at the same time, her father disappeared, and she spent most of her childhood years wondering about her father. And now ever, she finally, she goes to Australia and finds her father. That's a crocodiles and all. It's a great story. Uh, and in Cold Mirage, she's decided, all right, I'm going to be a normal, normal person. I'm going to do what my mom wants me to do. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do all these basic things. And, and I'm going to just know normal people. And the first person she gets to know in college is her roommate, who has the power of seeing things with her third eye. Oh, well, that's normal. That's nice. <laughs> um, and, and she ends up going home for a, a long weekend to uh, Tofino on, on Vancouver Island, a very remote, beautiful village. Uh, where her roommate lives, and they proceed to get into one uh, supernatural, quote-unquote, experience after another. Uh, the, whole, the whole thing is an arc of, in Cold Mirage, the arc is in Stevie learning to trust a friend, mm -hmm. uh, because she's had so many reasons not to trust people, and also to learn more about what these forces that have been, what these people who have been sort of victimizing her off and on for her whole childhood, who they actually are and, and defeat them in um, close combat, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then it doesn't get any simpler. And so I won't, I won't say any more, but it goes on and on. And um, it's very much a quest, adventure, friendship, love um, story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm halfway through, the th well, more than halfway through the third book in the series right now. I can't believe where it goes. It's crazy. I don't know how she, she does this to me all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> so 
she basically has a life of her own and I sometimes wonder or I've, we've always asked authors that question because it happens to some of them, not all yeah. of them, but to some of them mm -hmm. that um, the characters really, you know, really have a life of their own and have their own ideas what the author should do. Is it uh, for you like that, that she's looking over your shoulder and telling you, Oh, come on, Christina, not that, well, please. Actually, it's even sort of more visceral than that. Um, because, well, I, I do, as we've talked about before, see a, an entire novel as a movie in my mind. I don't always understand why things are happening or how they're mm -hmm. happening or who else is involved, you know. So that's where what happens as I write that comes out. Uh, but one thing that happened in... Um, my fairly recent writing in this third episode, the third uh, of this series, is that um, I was getting frustrated because Stevie seemed just to be taking things too stoically. She's like, I can handle this. And she just goes, plunges through and does it. And she doesn't let herself get too torn up about it. You know, I'm resourceful, intelligent. And I really appreciate that. But I was thinking, What is she? What is she really feeling? I mean, mm -hmm. there's got to be more to it than I'm seeing here, and um, and I, I I said to her in my mind while I was writing one morning, why don't you you know feel more, show your feelings? And she literally, I'm not kidding. This supernatural and natural are kind of borderline and in, interpenetrable and in, in, <laughs> interpenetrating phenomenons to me. So. I sometimes things happen to me that are a little weird. Mm -hmm. So uh, in this case, I literally felt Stevie's hand reach out of the laptop, <laughs> reach out of the words, mm -hmm. put her hand right here on my chest where my heart is and said, mm -hmm. why don't you try it? Hmm. And bingo, I realized, well, of course, Stevie's reflecting my personality. She's inhabiting much of the way I experience things. And so I said, okay, okay. Like, <laughs> wow, who am I to argue with you here? And I sat there in my chair and I let feelings, feelings that I was very cognitively mm -hmm. aware of. I've been through so much therapy. I've been a therapist for God's mm -hmm. sake. You know, this shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> so I, I, I let them go into what I would call into my heart and felt pain from trauma that, you know, childhood trauma things that, like Stevie, I just go, oh, well, I can handle this. I have to survive. Mm -hmm. And it hurt so bad. And I, I literally started crying in my chair. And then afterwards, I thought, I need to remember this, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> Stevie's right. And after that, I found I could write her better mm -hmm. in the sense she was more real to me. Now, I know that sounds weird to many people, but um, my stories are, are the genre is um, near future, non-dystopian realism with supernatural elements. And uh, that non-dystopian, I figure we have enough dystopia in our lives, so I'm not going to write dystopia. And, and I, I tend to see the real world as full of mystery and magic and strange things that and and so things that I might call supernatural in my books personally don't feel so supernatural to me they feel more mm -hmm. like 
natural things that we so often in life and our culture have mm-hmm. been acculturated not to see, mm-hmm. not to see. Mm-hmm. So that's a very long answer to your very brief question. <laughs> no, it's a perfect answer, actually. And it also answers the question, uh, which is often asked of authors, how much of yourself is in the character? It usually is a part of the author in the character, especially the main the main character. You said mm-hmm. it's not, you wouldn't call your book dystopian. You also said it's a few years in the future. Yeah. And a few things you mentioned in the book, I mean, we already have them. Therefore, yes. like you said, it's not no longer dystopian. It might have been dystopian a few years back. But... These days, it's no longer dystopian. I mean, AI is a reality. And um, when you when you describe her, her room in the new house oh, yeah. her, her, her mother lives in, it, it reminded me a little, a, a teeny tiny bit of Fahrenheit. Yeah. Was, was well, that in your mind when, when, when you wrote it? No, interestingly, that room comes out of a... An Airbnb, my husband and I stayed in Seattle. We were in this house for a while before we realized that there were cameras on us everywhere. And and we were supposed to, you know, talk to Alexa for everything we wanted. And I'm not really that kind of person. So um, it was very spooky, not quite as extreme, but I, I took... I. I took that as a starting mm-hmm. point for, for a near future. And yeah, I mean, near future, future, uh, you know, things I wrote about in my first, in my first uh, book of this series. I, I had some climate change mm-hmm. um, things happening, but I didn't think, consider them dystopian. They're just yeah. real. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Absolutely. A good question. <laughs> yeah, but but also the question of um, politics. I mean, you mentioned it, like you said, and like we said, it's a little bit in the future, not too long in the future. But you also bring in these tensions between the United States and Canada. They are not really tensions at the moment, are they? I mean, your neighbors. They're not bad. No, they're they're good. But you know, during COVID, with I mean, I, I went to school very close to the Canadian border and, and lived near there for a long time up in northwestern Washington state. And um, Canada was always my favorite place to go. You know, Vancouver was closer than Seattle to where mm-hmm. I lived. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it was so easy. We'd cross the border. Of course, this was a long time ago. I mm-hmm. was, I'm old now. But um, we'd cross the border for the evening and go out and come back and, you know, no big deal. And then during COVID, of course, it got harder and harder to get across the border. And then with various, you know, immigration and and um, uh, terrorist kind of, you know, whatever going on, borders have all closed so mm-hmm. much more than they could be. And um, with Canada, I think uh, things come and go. Mm-hmm. We have, as a country, usually a very sibling kind of relationship with them. But siblings can fight, too. And mm. You know, a lot goes on. And as climate change goes on, who knows, you know, mm-hmm. things will change even more. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mean to imply that we were terrible enemies, but just that, yeah, there were there were frictions there. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you, you mentioned earlier um, 
how, how an author has to think about how much of them, or is often asked about how much of themselves is in a character. And um, another question they're often asked is how much of what you write is autobiographical? Is your fiction autobiographical? Mm. Uh, I find that question really annoying because no, but <laughs> it's taken from things I know in my life. So in a way, yes. And I don't think, I think it would be very hard for an author to write from a protagonist's viewpoint without having some of his or her own viewpoints in it. I mean, maybe not totally, but some, some. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And also, like you said before, feelings or things that you experienced or the feelings you associate with those experiences, for example, to make it more real for your character and for your reader. Yeah, because if, yeah, because if you write in the future, man, how are you supposed to say, oh, yeah, that's autobiographical? I mean, no. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And, and it leaves an author more free to write fiction if people are not assuming it's autobiographical. You know, because you don't want to start scandalous <laughs> things about yourself. Not that I would in these books, but, you know, some books. <laughs> Um, oh, now it's now now we are getting to an interesting point. Scandalous things, Christina. What is that? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> just just oh, a okay. joker. Just joking. <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask you, since it's young adult fiction, and I would call it adventure. It's an adventure book, mm -hmm. and uh, with a touch of the supernatural. Um, for you, what was the most challenging thing? of writing this young adult novels? Um, if I really think about the most challenging thing, part of it would be just going back into the adolescent mind state because mm -hmm. adolescence is very difficult for many of us, maybe not for everybody, but for many of us. And I just assume, you know, really, I kind of rather write adult fiction I in my... Um, book from here to argentina a tango love story that's that's adult fiction uh, and and i i enjoy that but once i started writing this i just found it very healing mm -hmm. because not only for the writer but for the the reader as well and i have to say my reading audience right now ranges from 14 to 94 <laughs> and um for the writer or the reader There's so much of those early years in our lives that perhaps we have put behind us and not wanted to deal with and not mm -hmm. wanted to think about, or maybe we've thought about them in a way that wasn't accurate, but we thought it was. And um, so I think even for someone just reading a young adult book, and I've read other people's young adult books and found this to be true, you can resonate with certain things that maybe you never dealt with or maybe you want to look at in a different way or maybe you just have sympathy with or empathy mm -hmm. with because you were there once, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so that it is a challenge trying to remain conscious of who my readers are. But one of the main reasons I write these young adult books, again, it's not because I just was so eager to write YA. It was because I felt like The experiences I had as a as a young person 
I'm writing books that I would like to have had to read then because they would have helped me accept differences, uh, being different, you know, from many people when you were supposed to be the same. Mm-hmm. And feeling that learning how to manage differences in your life, which doesn't always come naturally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, true. And w- would you agree that we as adults should more often read young adult fiction? I don't know about shoulds. I, I think, Or could. you know, whatever, whatever speaks to a person is great. But yes, I think it's, we can learn a lot, not only about our younger selves, but about younger people now mm-hmm. who are actually kind of different from younger people when I was a younger person, but also very much the same. Mm-hmm. So um, I would recommend it. I, I definitely would. There's some great YA authors out there, and I, I, so I'm very bad at keeping authors' names in my mind, so I can't just click <laughs> them off to you. There. Well, we we often get the impression that Dick Hope and I that um, in the young adult genre, there is more experimenting with uh, different ideas than it is when people write for adults. Yeah, I think that's partly true. And actually, the name that just did pop into my mind, and, and a young adult author who was extremely influential in my young life was Ursula Le Guin. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've read Ursula Le Guin, but she's a Pacific Northwest um, author who uh, was just brilliant writing um, young adult supernatural Uh, fiction before much of anybody else was doing it. So I just wanted to put, pop her name in there because she's pretty superb. She's She has um, passed into the ne- next realm already, but mm-hmm. uh, wrote for many years. And she mm-hmm. was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And um, we spoke about it with other young adult authors as well. What are the restrictions you have as a young adult author? I mean, I suppose... Like others said, there are restrictions compared to, let's say, writing yeah. for adults. Yeah, and they're, they're, it's kind of sh- surprising and shocking what young adults are reading now, but they're seeing it all on TV anyway. But I feel a responsibility writing for young adults to um, not have a lot of gory violence, uh, no sexual mm-hmm. violence, no graphic sexual acts. Um, I mean, none, none of these things are things teenagers aren't aware of or do themselves, but I don't feel like I need to feed that into them, into mm-hmm. their lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I also like to, um, well, I don't know. I, I like to write the kinds of books, again, that I like to read, like I like to read at night when I go to bed. And so I I really hate it if I'm reading a book, no matter how good it is, if it's if it just leaves me with horrible, disgusting, hot, bloody, violent, you know, scary images in my mind when I turn off the light. I want to go to sleep. So I think there's a place for books like that. But I am writing a, a different kind of book. A lot of weird things happen. But for me, actually, which might be a little different from uh, some other authors, is even when something terrible is happening or frightening, I'm, I'm seeing the beauty around it, the light or the nature, the natural elements or you know, something beautiful. I, maybe that sounds kind of namby-pamby. I don't know. But that's how I see the world. You know, terrible things can happen, but there's still beautiful stuff around. And so I, I kind of like that dissonance of 
good and beautiful, I mean, bad and beautiful, you know. Mm. Well, the teacup would agree with you and I agree with you as well. Although I have to say, I sometimes like the gory part as well. Oh, me too, but not at bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Not at bedtime. True. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to watch a horror movie and go to bed? And no, no, <laughs> probably not. No, I fully agree. Yeah. Um, the gifted people. You mentioned it before, mm. the, the characters in your book, not just Stevie, but uh, other people she met, her roommate and someone else, which we won't, won't mention mm -hmm. because we do not want to give too much away. Listeners, read the book, find out for yourselves. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, where did you get the ideas from? I mean, it's not the usual yeah, kinds of gifts. Well, and you know, that's kind of hard to say because maybe a lot of people have extraordinary gifts that mm. they are convinced they can't reveal or can't live with mm. and culture doesn't, our culture doesn't allow them to live with it and they, again, they don't want to be different so they never develop those gifts, they lock mm. them away. I, there are a lot of people who can, who have visions, who, who have extraordinary skills of one kind or another. Um, but those people often don't come out. I mean, and more people than you think, I suspect. But those people often don't come out and flash it around unless they're trying to start a, a business or something, in which case that's kind of different. But um, I, I personally do think that the majority of us have some gift Or another that doesn't mean a wild crazy huge gift like stevie's pain healing gift no. mm -hmm. however i um i have studied uh with people here and in australia um healing um, energy healing stuff and mm -hmm. i mean genuine energy healing i i i always feel so you know people are going to say oh god one of those you know <laughs> but um Uh, there, there is an um, uh, there, and there is a whole science of healing touch that is even used in hospitals, you know. Mm -hmm. And and it doesn't mean that you just walk by somebody, wave your hand, and suddenly they have no more pain. But there, there are disciplines that are actually developed for helping people through pain and fear and that kind of thing through touch. So that's just one of the things I would mention. Mm, do you also think that since you mentioned those studies? And you are a cat person. You you live under <laughs> you live under the paw. Um, what about animal therapy? In in, in the sense of oh. like 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 you said, the healing touch of, of a person is one thing. But coming back to to pets, especially cats, the purring, we we do know, as far as I know, that it can uh, lower your blood pressure. When you when you pet a cat and so on. <laughs> yeah, my cat was lying on top of me in the middle of the night last night, purring, and I was sort of wakeful, and I just went right back to sleep. So that was so nice. Um, yeah, I I I almost I think I mentioned I almost always have animal companions or wild animals or some kind of wild uh, some kind of creature other than a human in my stories, uh, because I grew up with animals, I grew up on a ranch, on a farm, where there were just every kind of animal, and we were out in a remote place where there were, you know, a bear might walk through the field, or a cougar, or whatever. Um, I think the world is so rich when we have 
connection, not too close, with all those animals. But also, you know, every time I'm like cleaning the cat box and going, oh, God, I hate this, I think. <laughs> but what I would miss if I didn't have a cat, you know? And I have friends with dogs, of course. And I think in the town I live in, uh, there may well be more dogs than there are people. I'm not sure. A walk in the park is often like a dog show. I just, I think human life, I, there's something in us instinctual about needing that, wanting that presence. And I know there are many people who don't have pets and nothing wrong with that either. But um, it's, it just, it's just such a natural thing for us to have. And um, in my, in the first book, Now Ever, Stevie has a dog that was very important to her. And then, of course, cats and other wild creatures come up uh, in the second book. It's just, it just, uh, when I read a book and there's no animal in it, and it's, it's talking about someone's life and it's very complex, but there's no pet mm -hmm. or no animal or no companion, mm -hmm. even observed, mm -hmm. I feel like there's something missing. Mm. And I sometimes think that things we would call supernatural or mysterious with people... We fully agree. <laughs> we we usually, f oh, not usually, but most of the time we do agree it's perfectly normal with animals, especially um, our pets. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. There's a connection. You, you know, your, your dog comes up and looks you in the eye and you go like, oh, this is a communication. And, I mean, I think we all talk with our cats, I'm sure. Um, I know when I've, first got the cat I have now, I thought, well, he doesn't talk very well, but we'll, we'll get it together. And, and now we do like, you know, I get it. Yeah. I know what you're saying. That's why I have him locked out. He's saying, I want to be there too. <laughs> I'm very important. Like our CEO, also very important, but out and about. Oh, yeah. um, do you think, or uh, you said also, again, back to the supernatural, especially when we are younger or when we are in our teens, the experience of déjà vu, it's more, it's more prevalent when we are in our teens. That's, that's a very interesting question. I, I think it's actually more, it starts most strongly when we're very young. I mean, I remember as a child, I had fairies and elves in the neighborhood, you know, and they went away by the time I was a teenager. But, um, but yeah, it's before you get so old and grown up and mature and involved in daily life that you don't have time or energy for those things. And still they can jump up and surprise you at odd times. Uh, I've, I, can, I could, you know, literally count the times, not that many, But like maybe five times that I've had visions where I absolutely saw what was going to happen, mm -hmm. and it did. And one I'm so proud to say led to two of my dear friends meeting and getting married. So, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's something. I think it is. It's possible at any time in our lives to just be open to things. Yeah, not necessary. I mean, people get through life perfectly well, you mm -hmm. know, without doing that. I, I would I would say I would say that for me um, when I was a child and I first uh, was able to get books from the library when I was very young and I started reading fairy tales um, 
those were very important to me. And I wouldn't say it's because they introduced the supernatural, but that was part of the appeal hmm. of them. But what they did for me was, now I wasn't interested in being a fairy princess or anything, but I loved the young person uh, having a bad experience and setting out on a quest to solve, you know, to, to challenge the, the badness, to, to turn it into something good. And um, I, I just loved those. I was, I was probably a teenager before I realized it was only the boys in the fairy tales who were being sent out on the quest for the most part. Yes. But I reinterpreted that for myself. <laughs> good, good for you. And I have to tell you, I would prefer to be the evil queen. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Because ever since Once Upon a Time, I have to tell you, she's got the best lines. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's yeah. that's more fun, and I mean, well, fa fairy tales are also not so so nice. Actually, I mean, the, the originals weren't that nice. And if you read Baba Yaga, the Russian witch, yeah, yeah. that's that yeah. was very formative for me. She's up on her chicken, the house is up on its chicken legs, and nobody can get in, and she's in charge. So very cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, indeed. And uh, a place that also features in in. Cold Mirage, probably also in the first book, is Iceland. And we are back at the supernatural again. I mean, the, the people of Iceland are more in touch with what's around them, with nature, with, I think they call them small people. Yeah. What we might frown upon, but it's very, it's very real to them. And speaking to authors from Iceland, it's very important to them. It's also part of... Their, their heritage. I, I love Iceland and I, you know, if I have a choice, if I need to pick a country to be somebody from in one of my stories, I, I you know, I really like Iceland <laughs> as a choice. <laughs> and, and also, well, that has a lot to do with why the, the landscape and the natural environment is so important to me and what I write because I, I think uh, we we absorb so much, we're so influenced by the places around us, even if we don't realize it. And like um, Tofino in, on Vancouver Island, what an incredibly magical place. I mean, it's the end of the highway. You can't go any further without a boat or an airplane. And it's just rainforest, you know, it's just phenomenal. And of course, the desert is the same. I, landscape and animals become as big a character in my characters in my books as the people are, I think. Mm. It's important, also sets the scene perfectly. And also the question of, again, I don't want to give too much away, also the danger of being special, different, mm -hmm. other, yeah. probably. And there's always someone out there who wants to profit and wants to take what's, what people have for themselves. That's also a, a huge part in your book. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why my character Stevie has had such challenges in trusting. And also because her father has disappeared so early in her life, mm. she hasn't grown up with that feeling protected. I mean, her mother has done a good job and been very, you know, loved her and been very conscientious, but it's often very hard for a single parent to do everything mm. and make a complete yep. uh sense of safety for the child so um that's why in the first book she's so so determined to find her father and 
I, I think sometimes we forget how what a huge effect that has on our lives. Any of us to have lost a father, either to separation or death, at such an, at an early age. I mean, how does one cope with it? How do people cope with such a loss? Yeah, I, I you know, it, for me, it's sort of like um, there's this big inhale, and then you never get to exhale. You, you know, you take in. I have a father; he protects me, he loves me, and then you never. If you lose that father too early, you never get to mature in that relationship. And I think there's a tremendous risk of going through an entire life or much of a life desperately looking for that and, and seeing it perhaps in illusory ways because somebody who might look, oh, that's, that person's big like my father was, you know, that person has this characteristic or that mm -hmm. characteristic, and therefore they're safe and good, <laughs> you know, may not be the case, so... I think there's just a lot of confusion that arises. And so a lot of what Stevie is doing is trying to find her own strength um, without needing to be attached to a male person and to um, get through the grief of having lost her father. Uh, and, and this goes on in the third, third uh, of the series as well. So mm -hmm. I, I, make, I think she finds resolution gradually, um, But it's one step at a time. Mm -hmm. yeah, but she's also still quite young. I mean, she's in, in book two, she's 18. And she mm -hmm. still has time to find also her ways, her coping mechanisms. Yeah. And, and to, to learn from her trust issues. And I mean, um, the, the influence uh, from outside are also hard to deal with because at the end of book two, again, she has to deal with a lot again. When, yeah. when, when we think, oh, yeah, that's going to be wonderful, hmm. yeah. maybe or maybe not. It's kind of like real life. Every time you think you've gotten things done and dusted, then you've, oh, that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah. I, Go on. Go ahead. No, no, go on. I just... Okay. Well, I, I did also... Um, I could go on forever about misplaced trust and... and uh, I'm old. I yes. won't. But, but I will just mention one more thing. I, I This just occurred to me uh, that it is connected. Um, it's so easy to be discouraged by in, in developing the gifts that you have whether they're seen as supernatural or just skills, um, if somebody that you think is an authority that you should trust uh, negates them somehow. And when I was in my second year of college, I was developing my writing skills. Um, at that time, writing nonfiction, you know, essays for school and things. And I spent a, a, a tremendous amount of time on one paper that was about utopias and utopian communities and utopian thinking and I researched and I footnoted everything and I indicated what was quoted and what was my own and you know I was so proud of this paper I thought I am I, I enjoyed doing it so much and I'm thinking wow maybe I'm a writer you know and I turned it into my professor 
it was a, it was a young man. He was probably you know maybe it'd been his second year of teaching. I don't know at the time. Mm-hmm. He was a big, gorgeous, smart, authoritative. Oh, I would this. He's going to be so impressed. And he called me in and accused me of plagiarizing it. And I said, no, I didn't. I didn't plagiarize it. Look, here's my sources. I know plagiarism when I see it, and this is plagiarized, and I will not accept this paper. Ah, I don't know if you can, I'm sure you can probably imagine how, I mean, even to this day, I can still feel this gut kick, you know, Mm. like, (laughs) I did the very, very best I could, and he accused me of somebody else doing it. Mm. So, and, and actually, aside from the few papers I still had to write to get through college, for 15 or close to 20 years, I didn't write much of anything at all. I mean, I just quit, which partly is because of my experience for having not grown up with father close by. Um, I took him as this guy is my full authority and he rejected it. And therefore, mm-hmm. why should I even try? Yeah. And, and happily, you know, I grew up and sort of got over that finally. I, I don't worry about that at all anymore, but I do think of other people. In fact, I was just reading a, a brief biography of another author in a book the other day on the back cover, and it was saying that she actually dropped out of college because she'd been accused of plagiarizing. And I thought, yeah, well, I'm right there with you. I get it, you know. And then she'd become an author. But I, I would just, you know, I want young people to trust themselves and not listen so much to authority figures without testing them out and seeing are they really worthy of Mm. the authority that they're expressing you know anyway that's uh that was the thing about fathers and i don't know what all (laughs) yeah but today you would ask him to prove his accusations but at that age Exactly, exactly. Well, and yeah, but you know, I was a college student a long time ago, and women college students especially had no real rights unless they were just the strongest personalities on the planet. You oh. know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, true. Um, can you tell us a little bit about also your adult novel? Because I read also in your biography that you enjoy to dance. Yes, yes. And yes, Ar- Argentina and the tango. Yeah, Argentine social tango. I um, started dancing about 12 years ago now. I started taking, my husband and I both started taking uh, classes from an Argentinian woman in our community. Mm-hmm. And... Um, It can be very, very rigorous. I mean, Argentine social tango, it's its wonderful and improvisational. And once you're comfortable with it, it's just plain fun. But learning it can be very intimidating mm. because there are all kinds of steps. And you then you put them together in a different way. And you have to learn to follow the cues of the other. Pro- I mean, it's just very complex. And I think that's what actually attracted me to it because it, it's a It's a very intellectual dance. It, not in, it's not always expressed that way, but the way our teacher taught us, it mm-hmm. was. And um, I just fell in love with it. And that, so, um, from from here to Argentina, this is about um, uh, five people, sort of midlife, sort of fifty-ish, roughly, 
And they've all come to this tango class for reasons of their own, of Mm -hmm. being widowed and lonely, being new in town, being really depressed and just got to find one last thing to try, you know, different reasons. And, um, and then, and their, their teacher is somebody with wild ambitions to go to Argentina and, and dance with this perfect woman he's seen online, you know. And so you put this all together, and I, I gave them experiences that I was familiar with in tango or that I'd seen other people have in tango, and then just, of course, expanded on it a little bit. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a very short book. It, it's more a novella than a, a novel, and, and it's, it's, but it moves along very much the same way my young adult novels do. They're very, you know, sort of adventurous things and, dramatic things that happen and then tie into the next thing and um in the end i like to think the tango story ended fairly happily (laughs) for most of the characters and how and and how difficult was it for you to put into words in this book since we're talking about dancing and and uh and like you said an intellectual dance into words what you saw in your mind You know, it's interesting for the tango story. um, I think there was a lot of physicality to it too. It wasn't just what I was seeing, but what I could resonate with with the uh, experiences that I've I had physically Mm -hmm. with the music and the dance. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I love tango so much that I really wanted to make it come alive. I don't know if I did or not, but I like it. <laughs> it's still, it's still one of my favorite books I've ever written. So, so it it was not difficult. Uh, just, just, just wondering because it was not difficult at all for you. Let's say, for example, to describe a, a dancing scene. No, because there are certain things. For example, in a in a social tango, uh, the couples dance clockwise, mm-hmm. and the or. I'm sorry, counterclockwise. <laughs> I'm thinking of it from, um, and um, and uh, they each stay in their own space and mm-hmm. do all their moves and things in their own space mm-hmm. without running into mm-hmm. other people, mm-hmm. and they're each couple is having personal experience of feeling the energy of the other person mm-hmm. and connecting at sort of a heart level with the other person. Ideally, ideally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are certain steps that are done typically within those. And people dress in a certain way, or at least they did when I wrote this book in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, tango changes like anything else changes. There are those who say, no, it can't change. This is, okay. There is the Milanguero style, and that's all there was. But tango actually has changed a lot. Like if, for example, you go to, uh, go to Turkey, go to Istanbul and watch tango dancers, they're going to be... Mm-hmm wildly different from tango dancers in uh, in our little town here. Well, not wildly different anymore, but different. You know, every, every tango community develops its own identity and its own style. Mm, also due to the cultural background, probably? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, I, I know that, you know, tang- one of the beautiful things about Argentine tango is you start out learning tango, knowing that it's a dance, you're supposed to be able to dance right through your 80s at least. I mean, there are different ways to maneuver, but you can certainly do that. Um, Whereas I have heard people who dance in Istanbul say, 
Okay, if you're a woman and you're over 40, forget it. Nobody, none of these guys are going to ask you. And I'm going, oh, no, that's terrible. You know, so I guess I won't dance in Istanbul. <laughs> that's ageism. <laughs> yeah. I would say. Yeah. Hmm. We, we, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that it's a very fun thing to do. I would encourage anybody who at all interested in dancing to give it a try i have no sense of rhythm oh well and that's, that's from some was. yeah that's from someone from austria i know it's a shame but <laughs> my father always said you are you are a useless case just like my mother oh that's interesting well my um my slovak grandma who grew up in in the very you know hungary slovakia poland corner up there I asked her when I was little, what, what did you used to do? And she said, oh, I would go out and dance and sing in the woods. And I'm going like, that sounds about right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, why not? Everybody have a yeah. sense of rhythm. I don't. <laughs> I can't sing. I can't dance. Oh, well, but you can certainly talk and communicate and make people feel good talking with you. So this is a good thing. Oh, I hope so. I do hope so. <laughs> And you write, you write as well, right? A, a little bit, more than more yeah. than the, the teacup shopping lists, but a little oh. bit, yeah. I did, I did want to mention your your uh, recent um, uh, segment with the women talking about the writing community mm. was really wonderful and accurate. I thought, and one of the most important things in my writing for the last seven or maybe eight years now, I can't keep track has been um, my writer's group here in, in Bend, Oregon. It's, uh, there are five of us, and uh, it's, it's quite a trick to keep a writer's group together for that many yep. years. And have um, come to trust one another so deeply and that we can offer really good criticism to each other because nobody takes it personally. You know, you, somebody say we might tear a piece apart but it's not about the person it's about making the writing better yeah so yeah. i i wanted to you know ba uh, agree with what those other women said it's so important to have a writer's group mm -hmm. that's yeah that's why we did the episode and thought it's important because every author we spoke to said how important it is like you said to get useful and uh, honest criticism not just yeah. like from your family oh yes when your sister calls you said yeah. oh yes it was wonderful <laughs> oh your mother oh darling yeah how nice exactly. yeah okay yes but okay now when you could do something that you can earn money doing <laughs> Exactly, something like that. Um, I also have an, uh, one more question regarding um, the young adults novels and the question of dystopian and utopian. Is there at the moment uh, more interest in dystopian uh, stories than utopian? Yeah, almost, almost to a fault. You know, hmm. I don't remember what year it was that Cormac McCarthy's The Road came out. It was a uh, It is a classic dystopian novel, and it was one of the early ones of this era, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was just fabulous. But now, because like every second book is dystopian, or it has been recently, every, you know, 
it's uh, like, no, I don't want to hear any more of that because I am pretty unhappy with the wildfire smoke in our in our neighborhood and um you know on and on so um i think climate change for example is one of those things that you could certainly include as the background of a story but i don't really want to if i'm going to read about suffering people i really read the news you know and I mean, I'm not making light of that at all. I think it's very important to know what's happening in the world. But all of us, the more difficult life gets, the more we need something to relax into. And entertainment is not trivial at all. It's essential to survival. It's like I I heard when I, years ago, I, I read a study that talked about how if people don't dream, they go slightly crazy. And at that point, um, well, then that was a study where they interrupt people's dreams. And at that point, I, I realized that um, writing and art are like dreams for the culture. We would mm-hmm. go insane without those things in our in our experience. Mm-hmm. And to follow that up, now, what would be your advice for any other author out there? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I, I, I think there's the, the classic, write what you want to read. I trust that your taste and your interests are communal. They're not just mm. you because you're weird. I mean, I still think that a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, but I'm but weird. Believe me. I am weird. <laughs> I'm okay um, with weird. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I need to be sure my, um, I, I have been in a, another wonderful online group all through, uh, during COVID and, and afterwards called Pages and Platforms that is uh, run by several women out of Portland, Oregon and have members from all over the world, like the writing community, mm-hmm. you, your mm-hmm. people were talking about on your program. And <laughs> one, of my, one of my great challenges as an author is marketing. I mean, mm. <laughs> oh, please, can't I just go in my room and write? You know, I'm fine. Uh, so I was, you know, have been advised a lot by one of the experts in this group about actually stepping out there, which is exactly why I'm here with you today, too. Not only why, because I love the communicating, but it's a, a part I'm not supposed to leave out. <laughs> So, see, I have to remind myself that um, I need to say where my books can be found. Yes, please. please <laughs> and encourage people to to look for them and read them. Um, and, and, you know, it's for me, it's really not about selling books. I mean, it'd be great if I were one of those weird exceptions that actually could make a living writing. You know, that's terrific. But I'm also okay otherwise. What I really want is just to have my books read. I want want them to be read and have people relax with them and feel good about them and feel good about themselves and learn about how they might face the world and, and think about new possibilities that they might have in others. So when I'm saying look for these books, I don't mean, you know, buy my book, um, although that's probably <laughs> what I should be saying. But so, of course, you know, the, the – um, You can find them on Amazon or on all of those digital, um, the usual digital sources. 
but I'm a great advocate of independent bookstores. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know about Austria, but here in the United States, we, we are, our independent bookstores struggle. The people who run them are just saintly. <laughs> no, I don't know how they do it. So um, my favorites in Oregon here are Powell's Books, Powell's City of Books. Mm-hmm. And I have a local favorite, Roundabout Books, here in Bend. But I just encourage anybody, to please look for my books, because I would love you to read them. And please maybe start with your local independent bookstore. They, they won't have them on the shelves, but you could, they can probably order them for you. And if not, um, my, I, my uh, books are, I think they're all on the library, you know, the digital library mm-hmm. um, sources, uh, or uh, of course, digitally from Amazon or whatever. So, um, you know, Please read my books and give me some feedback. Go to my website. Most of all, go to my website. And um, if a person signs up there uh, with their email, they can get mm-hmm. a free copy, a free digital copy of Now Ever. Mm. So okay. no risk. Okay. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not very good at sending out my newsletter, so don't worry. I'm good at posting my blogs, though, and I might let people know about that periodically. They should absolutely read your books because I very much enjoyed Cold Mirage. I love that. I love absolutely. That. <laughs> and you touched a little bit upon what's coming next, but can you tell us a little bit more about your plans for the future? What can your fans, your readers, expect? Well. Just on a day, on a sort of monthly basis, at least, I post a small blog post on my website. And I theoretically should tell everybody on Facebook and on my newsletter that I posted it. Sometimes I actually do that. But my blogs, I, I try to make, I, I use a visual. I always like a, vi- a good visual. And then just a short blog. I don't write, you know, I don't have time to read reams and reams of anybody's blogs and I certainly don't have time to write them so if you don't like long blogs my mine is the place for you to go what the the uh, future for my books I'm I'm working on this third um, third uh, book in the young adult series and mm-hmm. I should be able to have it finished next year uh, 2024 it should come out mm-hmm. and um, I think think it's going to be the last one in the series, although I thought the second one was the last one. I thought the first one was the only one. So um, theoretically, it'll be the last one in the series. Stevie's, you know, fully 18 and ready mm-hmm. to move on to the next phase of life at the end of it. But there's a lot that goes on in the third book before mm-hmm. that happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something to absolutely then, look forward to then. Yeah. And then, um, and then, uh, I, I really have a dream of writing a, um, <coughs> a graphic novel. Ooh. All the, the illustrations on the covers of my books, I do those myself, and, and I love... I'm an artist as well, so um, it's a great uh, brain massage to actually do visual arts mm-hmm. between writing because it uses a different part of the brain. And then I have an adult novel in mind, but that, you know... <laughs> Slow down, take it easy, finish one first, and then we'll go on. <laughs> to the next, and so on, and so on. And yeah. you said a visual, you're a very visual person, and what about writing sc- 
scripts, I mean, screen, screens uh, for the screen. Script writing well, for the screen. My, my, my dear son-in-law is a, a movie director, and I don't think I'd want to write a script because then there'd be like this pressure, unspoken pressure, like, um, well, <laughs> you know, hmm. here's a script. <laughs> but um, no, I would be delighted if somebody wanted to adapt one of my books or any of my books mm -hmm. into film, but uh, I'm, I won't be doing that myself. It's, it's script writing is actually, you know, as you know, a different yep. format. Yeah. And yep. I'm better yep. off doing what I, uh, I'm better off doing what I think I already know how to do. Mm. <laughs> one one um, broadcaster said in an, in a, in a conversation with others about uh, books turning into, into, you know, scripts and then putting them on the big screen and I think it was Tom Wolf who said I just sell them the rights and then I run as fast as I can yeah I, I think there's some authors um, who who work very well um, oh gosh they, they author of the Shetland movie series she works very and closely leaves? with her and film leaves? people yeah, yeah. Ah, and no. I adore that series it's fabulous but she's special <laughs> That she is. <laughs> that she is. She's a lovely lady. Yeah. Absolutely. And her books are very good. And the, not just Chetland. I mean, I, I love her Vero series as well. That's also yeah. splendid. I mean, Brenda Blathin is wonderful as Vera. Uh, If you haven't seen I, it, I watch would, it. I, I would... Um, oh, gosh. I'm going to plug, put in a plug for Donna Leon's books uh, set in Italy. Ispettore Brunetti. Those are wonderful books. And, mm -hmm. oh, I, I won't start on my litany of special authors I love, but, you know, she's real up, really up there too. <laughs> and the Germans also turned it in a TV show. German, yeah, yeah, yeah. German television. Yeah. They're not so bad, actually. I have to no, I'm good. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Christina, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? Oh, you know, once I start talking, I could go all day. So, you know, no, I think I think we've hit the most salient points right now. And I've very, very much enjoyed our conversation. I knew I would and I, and I have. So I appreciate very much the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you very much for being here. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did? Then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary links in the description. Until next time.